You are listening to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kelly Casperson. Hey, friends. I'm so excited today to have my very good friend, Rachel Rubin, in on our podcast today. She, Dr. Rubin, will you just come on the podcast like every six months because it gives us a time to catch up and people need to hear you. So I would absolutely love that. And this is our third, right? This is our third podcast together. And I've been begging you to be back on um, just because I want to be a part of all of your amazing brilliance and popularity. I'm so proud of you. And every time I see you uh, pop up on my newsfeed, I'm like, I know her. I know her. I've been there from the beginning. Ah, you're so kind. You're so kind. Yeah. I mean, we have a good time talking and you are a wealth of knowledge. And I just feel like America is such a large country. It's kind of a bummer. You're on the East Coast. I am on the East Coast. I'm in the Washington, D.C. area, but um, it is pandemic has been amazing to make all these really good friends uh, through social media and through Zoom and things like that. I, I think we've met what one time in real life. I think very like like I think I saw the I like the back of your head or something <laughs> like a hot minute. So it's just funny that people who you text with regularly, you do phone calls regularly. You just I mean, you have changed my life so drastically in the last two years, which is just amazing to say about someone that you have not really spent any time with in person. Oh, you are so kind. I, well, I get, you know, FOMO is the wrong word, imposter syndrome, because I'm like, here I am. I didn't do a fellowship. Dr. Rubin, this is doctor, doctor intimidation. You guys, you don't need to understand this, but like, I'm like, I didn't do a fellowship. She knows way more than me. Will you come be on my podcast so I can make sure I say the right things. So you're always incredibly supportive and I'm humbled. So thank you. Oh my gosh. You know, I I think again, doctors need to speak up more because you know so much and uh, the education around anatomy and body parts and sexual health is so piss poor in this country. And um, we really, we have a, a, we should be talking about it more and we should be shouting about it more and just educating wherever we can. So for you to have this platform where you are educating and giving evidence-based advice and really caring about these, these things. I mean, we are so lucky to have you in this space. It's just such a blessing. Oh, thank you. One of the things I wanted to bring you on, because I don't think we've talked about this or it's been a while is I want you to talk about the FDA approved for hyposexual desire disorder or low desire in women, Addy and Vilesi. Can you, you, I think you prescribe this maybe more than anybody I know, and you're so comfortable with these meds. Can you just give us a rundown of how you use these in your practice and what women should know about them? Sure. I love uh, talking about these medications because the idea that, um, so low desire, right, is a medical problem when someone is bothered by it, right? If you ask all women, about 40% will say, I have low desire, low libido, but only about 10% are actually bothered by it. I don't worry about the people who are not bothered by it. I don't go after them and say, Ooh, I need to fix you. They are not broken, right? But when you have the 10% of people who say, Geez, Dr. Rubin, I used to want, right? And it's like the light bulb went off. I want to want again. My partner initiates and I used to be all about it. And now I just really want to do anything else. Please, what can you do to help me? I love my partner. Um, You know, I'm not stressed. I have no other medical problems. Like, yeah, I'm busy. Yeah, I'm stressed. You know, yeah, I've got a lot going on, but like, I just want to want. If she comes to me with that, then, or, or he comes to me with that, then that is a medical issue, 
right? That, that as a physician, I have tools now to try to help that person. And those tools are in that box of what I think of as biopsychosocial. And of course, the psychosocial stuff, I'm not going to explain here because you are so good at really diving deeply into that on the podcast, right? But we often forget about the biology of it. And so... Um, I spend, listen, on the male side, I do a lot of male sexual medicine as well. And we love talking about the biology. Everything is blood flow and testosterone and hormones and, and, uh, you know, erections and, and it's all biology and there's not enough psychosocial. And then on the female side, it's all psychosocial and there's almost no biology. In fact, if you even mention biology, people attack you and say, you know, oh my gosh, we're biologicalizing women. We're telling them that they have to be a certain way. And, and we all need to take a step back, take a deeper and realize that we are all biopsychosocial, biopsychosocial beings and we have biopsychosocial solutions to help. So that's kind of a long-winded answer. If we start talking about the libido drugs, when you do science, right? Science makes you do randomized placebo controlled trials where you really put it to the test where one person gets a sugar pill or a sugar injection and the other person gets the real stuff. Anytime you do a, a clinical trial about sex, the person taking the sugar pill who you say it's a sex pill is going to have way better sex, right? It's going to work because the brain is a super sexy organ. It's super powerful. So placebo effect will work. Well, if you have these medications that are FDA approved for libido, these medications have proven proven time and time again to work better than the placebo, better than the sugar option. So I will take another step back. You are a physician, Dr. Kasperson, and you can say on, on your podcast that antidepressants have sexual side effects. Do you agree with that? I agree. Right? Antidepressants, not all of them, some of them, not for everybody, but antidepressants can cause low libido, can cause delayed orgasm, can cause erectile dysfunction and arousal, arousal problems. So could there be a medication that works on the brain that does the opposite? So if we all agree that antidepressants can cause problems, can there be medications that can improve the problems? Of course, you just do the opposite thing. It's not rocket science, people. It is not my, this was a light bulb moment for me because I hated doing uh, HSDD or hypoactive sexual desire work when I first got out of fellowship. I said, I'm a urologist. I deal with pelvic pain, hormones, genitals. I'm not interested in the brain stuff. But it was my mentor, Dr. Erwin Goldstein, who if you haven't had on the podcast, you must. Um, it was Erwin who, Dr. Goldstein, who said on, you know, at an ISWISH conference, he said, it's not magic, it's magic network. This is biology. And I really did have an aha moment of like, oh yeah, right. If we agree antidepressants cause sexual dysfunction, why can't there be a medication that boosts it? Of course there can. And of course there is and are, there are two FDA approved medications for low libido and they both work. Do they work in everyone? Of course not. Right. So if you give someone Prozac, is it going to work for everyone for their depression? Of course not. And so these medications work in about 50 to 60% of people who take them. You have to be a responder. But when people respond, it's game changing. It is game changing, right? And so it's finding the patients, right? So what, how do these medications work? Um, they each have different mechanisms. Okay. And we can go through, we, we, so we can go as detailed as you like, but they each have different mechanisms. And the idea is they boost dopamine in the brain, right? So now don't get me wrong. All of your listeners are getting their dopamine surges from their Instagram likes and they're swiping left and they're swiping right. So nobody's having sex anymore because their dopamine comes from other places, nope. right? I get, I get my dopamine rushes from doing a, a podcast, right? And from lecturing and speaking, we all get dopamine rushes in different ways. And so, but these medications 
they're like taking a hit of dopamine. And so one of them is a, a, a nighttime pill. You take it every night at bedtime and over two to three months, you boost dopamine in your brain and you get desire back. And so if you are a responder and it's subtle initially for people, it's, oh, this is what I hear patients saying. They say, holy crap, Ruben, my dreams are back. I have sexual dreams again. This is incredible. Or they say, oh my, I had a patient once who said, gosh, actually more than one patient who says, I was just at work and I was looking out the window and I just started thinking about sex. Holy crap, Ruben, it was amazing. And like life-changing, right? Like that was a spark. And that wasn't equaling more penis in vagina. It was not equaling more sexual. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily equal more sexual events. Sometimes it does, but it equals more desire. And that's really important. So then I get the patient saying, wow, I'm watching that Netflix show. And before, like it didn't really spark that, you know, tingling the tingles for me. All of a sudden I'm watching it and like, Ooh, let's go upstairs, honey. Or, Oh, I want to go, you know, bring out the vibrator kind of thing. And it is that point where we're like, okay, you're a responder. This is like clearly working. Um, so that's Addy, uh, and It's a pill at night at bedtime. You take it for two to three months. Now I do have patients who are in the 40% responder where they don't respond and they're super pissed at me. And they say, you told me it was great. And it worked. I said, well, it works in about 50% of people who take it. Now the side effects of that medication, I actually think are pretty good, right? It makes you sleepy. So it's a bedtime pill. And I get a lot of patients off their uh, melatonin, their trazodone, their Ambien, and they use this as sort of a sleeping pill. And they're actually very well rested the next day for the most part. And so it's a nice sleeping pill, if you will. Um, and there is a very slight side effect, very slight side effect of weight loss, which is pretty crazy. Like I don't tell patients it's a weight loss drug, but if they happen to lose weight on the drug, you know, um, about, you know, a certain percent, like 20% of people in the studies lost more than 5% of their body weight. And it wasn't a weight loss drug. It wasn't being studied as a weight loss drug. And so it's just a kind of an interesting side effect that's with it. It is safe to use in birth control. If you're on birth control pills, if you're on other antidepressants, it's safe to use there in studies. And so really what I tell them is what do you have to lose? Like there are really no bad things that are going to happen. This drug has been out since 2015. Nobody has died. Nobody has gone to the hospital. We all talk to each other. There have not been major side effects that have, I give Viagra out to pretty much everyone, uh, not really, but anyone who needs Viagra. And if they take it with nitrates, they drop their blood pressure and die, right? I give scary drugs. I do penile implants, right? I do scary things as a surgeon and a physician. This drug is not scary. Uh, and the other drug that is FDA approved is called Vilesi. And that one is bremelanotide and it's an injection, an injection. And you do the injection about an hour before you want to want. So whereas the pill is an every night at bedtime and just over time, your brain, it becomes more dopamine. -y. This is like a quick shot of uh, dopamine right before you want to want. So say you're going on date night and you're like, yeah, I want to have fun later. You know, you do the injection in your belly or in your thigh and it works on your brain to give you a boost of dopamine. So if I have different patients who want to do different things, sometimes people respond to one and sometimes people respond to the other. Sometimes I have people who say, Ruben, I don't want to inject myself with someone. So I say, great, let's try the pill first. Or I have other patients who say, I don't want to take something every day. So great, let's try the injection. How cool that in 2022, we finally have two options for our patients for the bio part of the biopsychosocial problems with sexual function. I have so many tools in my toolbox for my male patients. And now I have tools in my toolbox for my female patients, which is so freaking awesome. And I want more tools. Are they all, you know, do they work for everybody? No, but they are just tools. I'm so sorry. That was a very long winded, um, 
a long-winded answer. It's perfect. I have follow-up questions. Do you find it works better in women who have, uh, I want to say good hormones, but like, do you want to get your hormones good first? I mean, good, but you know, like as far as like that kind of perimenopause, what's going on, how do you decide in like, let's say like a 38-year-old or a 45-year-old, she's still getting her periods. Um, how do you kind of navigate the lower hormones versus getting these drugs on? Where do, where do you go first? We, you know, it's a bit of a data-free zone and this is where we tinker and this is where we do our best. I give all the information and we decide as a, a, we decide together what makes sense for the patient in front of me. And so it, the answer is a little bit, it depends. These medications are approved for premenopausal women. Now they've been studied in postmenopausal women and they work great in postmenopausal women. So I have to use them quote unquote off label, um, but I, I do, I do frequently. And so I, you know, I, if you're, you know, Typically in the premenopausal uh, patient, I tend to like starting with these non-hormonal medications first. They work faster. We know that they work faster. So if I give a woman testosterone um, and FDA approved testosterone for men, because we don't have FDA approved testosterone for women, um, it's going to typically take my patients about four to six months before they're noticing the benefits. So sometimes we do synergy and I'm, you know, it depends. Some patients are like, give it all to me, Ruben. I want everything you got and just throw it all. Uh, and other patients are like, we do one thing at a time and we'd be more scientific about it. And, and then we do that. So does that answer the question? Yep, totally. So we have dopamine drugs. We give them to people with Parkinson's. Why aren't we just giving Parkinson's drugs to people who want to desire more? We do. I mean, there certainly are medications that before we had these FDA approved options, we had, we used a lot of things off label. So probably the most common one is bupropion or Wellbutrin that many of your uh, pay, uh, listeners have heard of. Another one is called Buspar, although a study just came out this week. I saw that they gave Buspar to um, breast cancer survivors and they studied them and it did not improve sexual function. And so these are drugs that haven't been studied in large randomized placebo controlled trials. And yet many doctors know about them, prescribe them freely and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. Um, and so uh, in terms of the uh, dopamine drugs for Parkinson's, we tend not, not to use those as much for libido, but we do see them used a little bit more uh, for orgasm, you know, in the male population. Um, uh, so they've been played with a little bit in the sexual medicine world, but you will see like some Parkinson's, Parkinson's patients tend to have very high libidos actually. Yeah. Hypersexuality is like the side effect, right? So tell me how, help me navigate for like the boots on the ground providers, right? If you're like, my insurance doesn't cover this, my local pharmacy doesn't have this. How do you navigate as a provider providing Addy and Vilesi? It's They're actually both pretty easy to get when you just know how to play the game. And I encourage everybody to reach out to their reps. Um, the reps for both companies are really fabulous and, and neither drug is difficult to get and many are well covered. And so on the Addy side, I use an online pharmacy. I send it to the online pharmacy. The online pharmacy takes care of pretty much everything. I may have to click a couple buttons to get the right codes uh, to get it approved. And most of the time it's approved. When it is not approved or if I'm using it off label, like in a postmenopausal woman or even in a man, um, which it works great. Um, it's $199 for a three month supply. So it's 66 bucks a month. And, um, I believe both companies do have some teledocs that you can kind of do these online doctor things, uh, to get it. But I encourage you to see a sexual medicine specialist if possible, cause we are amazing. Um, but, um, uh, and then similar pricing for the injectable one, the Vilesi. 
Awesome. Plug for the Ishwish website to find sexual med docs because people are like, where do I find one? I think Ishwish is a really great resource. You type in your zip code. Um, Any other resource off the top of your head for people? So uh, for uh, typically for women's sexual health, that's going to be the best one. If you're in menopause, uh, the North American Menopause Society, NAMS, is, uh, has a website with a find a provider a tab, which both uh, Dr. Casperson and myself are on now. What about for men? Uh, just your local urologist for, for men or is it the... In- you can go to the Sexual Medicine Society for North America or smsna.org and they have find a provider as well. As you ladies know, I'm obsessed with vulvar skincare to increase pleasure and decrease pain with intimacy and daily life in general. They have Reverie, which provides powerful hormone-free relief from vaginal dryness with an easy-to-use vaginal insert that renews your body's moisture for everyday comfort and intimacy. So give Bonafide a try today. No hormones and no prescription required. Free shipping and to get 20% off your first purchase when you subscribe to any of their products, go to hellobonafide.com slash notbroken and use the promo code not broken. That's hello, B-O-N-A-F-I-D-E dot com slash not broken and code not broken for 20% off at checkout. I'm seeing you work more and more on changing the guidelines. So for, this is a big deal for providers for like just getting, getting the information to all American providers, well, all the world really, but we have to change the guidelines, which might not mean much to your average woman, but it does because when the guidelines change, it all kind of trickles down because that's resources for people. Tell us what you're doing on, on changing guidelines right now. So, um, genito, we're going to switch gears for a second. So we were just talking about low libido. Now we're going to talk about genitourinary syndrome of menopause or GSM. The idea that after, uh, when the ovaries stop making hormones, you are now menopausal. Um, the, what happens to the bladder, the urethra, the vulva, and the vagina, when it has no hormones, you develop genitourinary syndrome of menopause. And it is something whereas hot flashes and night sweats may go away. Uh, GSM gets worse and worse and worse over the decades. So you may get a urinary tract infection. You may get frequency and urgency. Your grandma may be getting up three times at night and risk falling because she's going to the bathroom all night. She may leak. Um, she may um, uh, have a dryness, pain with sex. And this can start in your 40s and get worse in your 50s and 60s. And I have a 98-year-old patient who I treat with this. You know, I treat, I treat uh, for her GSM. And the treatment is very easy. It's very effective. It works extremely well. It's vaginal hormones. So it's typically vaginal estrogen, which is local uh, or vaginal DHEA, which is um, a, um, uh, just a different kind of a hormone. And um, there's really almost no side effects, no risk, almost no patient I wouldn't give therapy to. And yet God bless America, less than 6% of um, humans who need this are on therapy. And there are a number of reasons of why people aren't on therapy, including lack of education for providers, lack of education for patients, uh, uh, inability to get it due to cost and insurance company coverage because these drugs are approved for pain with sex, whereas it's not just about sex. It's about urinary frequency, urgency, and urinary tract infections. Um, and there is a boxed labeling on the product that says it causes uh, strokes, blood clots, dementia, breast cancer, uterine cancer. None of that is true. And none of that is based in any data. That's all based on um, when you take hormones uh, in a pill form by mouth, like a birth control pill. 
And so we are very frustrated with this because we can save lives. There are a lot of people in the hospital right now risking COVID infections because they have a urinary tract infection and they get very sick. It goes up to their kidneys and you can die um, from a urinary tract infection. And so many of us are frustrated and want to change the advocacy around GSM. And we've been really pushing for getting the American Urologic Association to take on GSM as a condition that is important for urologists and not just gynecologists because it's called genitourinary syndrome of menopause. And that urinary piece is so, so vital to life. Um, and so we have lobbied the American Urologic Association to do a guidelines on GSM. And um, apparently we made it past the first round of their recent guidelines meeting, although I haven't heard anything recently. So you, we, uh, Dr. Uh, Una Lee and I have to bug them. Um, but that's really the goal is if I can get the American Urologic Association to give a crap about this, then we can get insurers and legislators and people saying, hey, this is a real problem um, and we need to really find good solutions. I love it. I, before, but man, you and I, we're going to get $4 estrogen, vaginal estrogen at Walmart. We're going to get it. We're starting a movement. This is the movement, people. They could, because this is not like an antibiotic where you just take it for five days and you're good. Like this is like decades of preventative medicine, right? Like your sunscreen to prevent the skin cancer on your face doesn't cost $60 a tube, right? And they come in bigger bottles. But it's like, we've got to get this affordable for people. It's preventative health. I, I'm to the point where I just think anybody age 55 or over should just be on it for preventative health. I don't know if, is your opinion that that progressive? Absolutely. I say, you know, I, I do exactly what you taught me is every woman at 45 gets a mammogram slip, a colonoscopy slip and a prescription for vaginal estrogen. And it is really till death do you part. I mean, if you don't want urinary tract infections and frequency and urgency, this is something you have to be on forever because the, the tissue needs hormones. It has hormone receptors. It needs hormones to be healthy and strong. And the vagina needs to be acidic so it can fight infection. And the best way to keep it that way is with local vaginal hormones. And it is, I, I am a big believer, it is the only essential oil that exists. That's it. It's the only essential oil that you truly need is, is, is vaginal hormones, either estrogen or DHEA. I love it. Let's move on to wrap this up about, let's talk about the clitoris, skin conditions of the clitoris, clitoral phimosis, schmegma, which is kind of dead skin cells trapped under the clitoral hood, which can really bother people. I've had a lot of interest in like issues of the clitoris. And it, it tends to be like, we're going to do a separate talk on lichen sclerosis separately, but really for like the menopausal, you know, and, and as you get older, like I don't feel things as much anymore or it itches or I have pain. Talk to me about like a clitoral exam. And then what do you do when you see this phimosis? Yeah. So uh, it's a great question. And I actually have some data to present that we just uh, put together. We're presenting at ISWISH and uh, was rejected by the American Urologic Association because they don't, clearly don't want to hear about the clitoris. But basically in my fellowship, we did a, a paper about the incidence of clitoral adhesions. And we found that about 23% of all women have some degree of clitoral adhesions, which means their hood of their clitoris gets stuck to the head of their clitoris and you can't full, it's not fully mobile. So if a penis, you think of a penis has a foreskin, you can pull it back all the way and see the head of the penis. Now the penis can get adhesions and things called phimosis as well. Um, so the same thing is with the clitoris. They're the exact same organ and men can get phimosis without having lichen sclerosis. And I know you're going to teach people about lichen sclerosis, but women 
can get clitoral phimosis regardless of, you know, a skin condition. And the, at, there is a, three papers that have also agreed that it's about 23% of women have clitoral adhesions. That is where data on the clitoris starts and stops, which is insane in 2022. We have no other data. So my question was, okay, if we free up those adhesions, you know, who gets better? What do people notice? Is it really worth doing? Is it totally normal to have clitoral adhesions? Is there nothing wrong with people? We're not looking at it regularly. So, you know, and how many women are saying I can't orgasm or I don't like to be touched down there. And they're being told it's because of their religious upbringing when really there is an anatomical issue that they can't, you know, that they, that they have uh, discomfort right? If you have little uh, oil and skin cells stuck under there, maybe it's irritating, right? As I always say, if you've ever had sand in your eye, it's a tiny piece of sand, but man, it hurts. And so if you have little pebbles underneath your clitoral hood, it may not feel so good if you're touching it with a vibrator or with a hand or a mouth. And so how much pleasure are we missing because we're not looking at that area? And so we did a pilot study um, where we talked to 61, we reached out to 61 women in my practice who had a lysis of adhesion procedure. Now that is a in the office procedure where we numb, we use a topical numbing agent. And once they're numb, we basically stretch the hood. We don't cut anything. We don't sew anything. It's not genital mutilation. And we just stretch the hood to free up, get the smegma out of there and allow it to uh, be able to pull back that, that hood. Um, we sent it out to 61 women. We had 41 uh, uh, women respond. Um, and about 25% had very mild adhesions, 38% had moderate and about 25, 25% had severe adhesions. And here's where it gets cool. So we had 76% of women reported improvement in pain. 71% of women reported improvement in satisfaction with sex. 63% of women reported improvement in sexual arousal. What? Okay. Whoa. Hold on. We're at, wait, wait, it gets better. 64% of women reported improvement in their ability to achieve orgasm. 26% of them had significant improvement. No participant reported any worsening in their ability to achieve orgasm. Okay. This is where my favorite one gets it. 16 reported that they were unable to orgasm from external clitoral simulation prior to the procedure. Six of these women gained this ability after the procedure. Damn. 30, right? Six of the women were able to orgasm who were never able to orgasm from that. I, when I saw that piece of data, I, I, I think I died, but, um, <laughs> and were these women, did they come in complaining of something or on exam? You were like, Hey, I see this. Let's see if it does anything. Like, how are they coming in? The answer is a mix. So we examine, everyone gets a mirror in my office and I say, this is your labia majora. This is your labia minora. This is your clitoral hood. This is the head of your clitoris. This is your vestibule. This is your pelvic floor. And we, we just give them a tour of their vulva. Now, because of the work that I do, I do get a, a number of people who come to see me for this problem specifically, but I would say the majority probably came to me for pelvic pain or another issue. And we found it and I never say, oh, we have to do this. It's more of a, hey, you have adhesions. We have no idea. It what it means clinically. If you feel that it's something you want to 
see if you, it feels better, you know, afterwards, you know, let's, let's give it a try. This is the procedure. This is what we do. This is pictures before and after. And so they get a choice. And so these were the things, some of the things that they said, the procedure gave me more sexual confidence and freedom, as well as greater understanding of my genital anatomy. It has improved my life and I am relieved uh, it could be treated. I hope other women who have this problem have access to the same treatment. 93% of respondents reported that they would recommend the procedure to a friend who also had clitoral adhesions. Uh, it improved my quality of life by helping me understand my body better and led to other forms of sex sexual exploration and satisfaction because of this. Holy moly. It was painless. I didn't write any of this. This was all the, the patients. It was painless, so easy to recover and an absolute game changer for me. I was extremely grateful to receive this. I mean, oh my God, right? So this is the data the American Urologic Association rejected and did not want presented at their conference. Uh, the International Society of the Study of Women's Sexual Health uh, did uh, accept uh, many posters for us uh, and we did submit to ACOG and a few other conferences. So we'll see, and we're writing up the paper now. Um, but this is just a pilot study, right? We have so much work to do uh, to figure out, but it's just, um, it's exactly what I wanted to see. You know, I, I want data to be able to show my patients and say, hey, you know, 60% of people think this is awesome and, and really get benefit. Nobody gets worse. Let's give it a try. Um, Does it recur? Do you make them do, do very specific estrogen cream or do they do you use a steroid cream? How do you do maintenance once you've had a clitoral? Uh, it is adhesion? such a good, it's such a good question. And they definitely can reoccur. And we don't have an, I don't have an exact, um, formula of like making it perfect so that it doesn't reoccur. So for penises, right, you got to pull back the foreskin, you know, in the shower so it doesn't stick, stick to itself. And that's something that there's penile hygiene that you do routinely. And so I, just knowing that, wonder if there's just some form of clitoral hygiene that we should be doing. Now, my spidey sense tells me that there's a hormone-related issue here, right? Testosterone is important for oil and skin cell production. And so if you have low testosterone, which we do in a lot of states, it being menopause and birth control use, that potentially that dries out the tissue and allows it to be more sticky, to get, like it sticks together. And so I do wonder if a hormone gel could help prevent the adhesions from coming back, but this is all my own sort of um, uh, hypotheses, but we have a lot of work to do. And mostly I'm just excited that there's some interest. I have a, a urogynecologist in Chile who is looking at this in his patient population. And he's texting me all the time. And he said, I never heard of this uh, before you started talking about it in Sufu right before the pandemic. And since then I've been looking, I've done the procedures. And so he's gathering his data. And so hopefully we can present some, you know, some multi-world data uh, data on, on this topic, which is just the coolest. That's so cool. Yeah. And, you know, God willing with the way the spring's happening, you and I are going to meet in Dallas in March at Ishwish and we'll definitely podcast again. If you'll be willing, I'm going to bring my mic because I really want to, I want to do a podcast on like, this is what's happening at Ishwish right now. This is what we're excited about. I think that'd be super fun. I would love it. How great. So tell us right before you wrap, you just started your own private practice in DC. I'm so excited for you. Tell people how they can find you and come and see you for help. Yeah, we're just getting things started. So please be patient with us. We've got a long wait list and we, uh, I have no staff yet, but hopefully that'll change in the upcoming weeks. Um, I, can be, I have a wonderful nurse practitioner joining me in April. So we're going to really get started and, and can do a lot more. Um, uh, you can find me at rachelrubinmd.com. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Dr. Rachel Rubin. And uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thanks for being here.